I started a series the uh, Sunday after Easter called The Afterlife, What Happens When You Die? And uh, I was attempting to answer one big question, thanks Scott, and realized that I created a whole lot of smaller questions. And, well, they may not be small questions to you, they may be really big questions to you, but every Sunday of this series, I tried to answer a big question like what's heaven like um, you know what's hell like uh, what will the resurrection body be like I'll, I tried to answer like one big question in each sermon knowing that each one of those big questions led to like a whole bunch of other smaller questions and so I, d- I decided to add this bonus message onto the series Ebony was supposed to la- wrap it up last week that was the last message in the series but I added this bonus message just questions on heaven and that's what we're talking about today, just questions that you've submitted to me on heaven. And we're, we're not talking about hell today. So I only got one question about hell, and I answered that via email because I didn't want to answer any more questions about that. We're only talking about questions about heaven. And most of the questions centered on uh, the final reality of heaven or the resurrection or the intermediate heaven. And so those are the questions we're going to tackle uh, today. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you on the front end that 80 to 90% of the answers will be prefaced with, I don't know. Um, because most of the questions you ask me, I don't know. And, and that's not a cop-out. That, that's not like, well, you were on vacation last week, so that's a really easy way to do a sermon. You just read a question and say, I don't know. No, it, that's, that's really the honest answer. I, I don't know. The Bible's not entirely clear on a lot of these questions, especially when we get into the how. You know, like, well, how's that going to work? And what's that going to look like? The Bible's not entirely clear on a lot of those questions and so sometimes that is the most honest answer you can get from the bible is i don't really know i don't you know and sometimes the answer is based less on what a specific verse says it's not like we got book chapter and verse that tells us this is what it's going to be like it's more based on like the character and nature of god and based on what we know of god and the overall theme of the bible that this is what i assume might happen or presume might happen but some of it's just guesses and i'm just i'm just telling you on the front end what we do know for sure, and I hope that you've discovered this as we've gone through this series, six truths that I put down real quick, that death will eventually be defeated. I think the Bible's very clear on that, that death will be no more, that life will reign forever, for all eternity, and that this life, this is what we know about this life, it will consist of no tears, no pain, no suffering, no sorrow, no shame, and no sin. It will consist of reunion We'll be reunited with our creator. It will consist of renewal. We will experience a new heaven and a new earth. And it will consist of resurrection. We will be raised to live again with our resurrected Lord in both body and spirit. So those are the things that I know for sure. And I know that the Bible teaches those things. And I hope that you've been encouraged by those things as we've gone through the series. The whole purpose of the series was kind of 1 Thessalonians 4.13 about, you know, I don't want you to be misinformed about what happens when we die. I don't want us to be misinformed. I want us to be informed so that we can be filled with hope. And I hope that's what's happened through this series is that you've been filled with hope. I also know you've been filled with questions. That's why I added this message. And uh, I'm certainly not the expert here. I just tried to do a little bit of research and answer some of these questions. So I got to ask, I, I kind of categorized them, put them down, and it was about a dozen. And I'm going to try to answer at least 10 of them. Some of them got submitted too late because I was on vacation by the time you submitted to those questions. So, but I want to try to answer about 10 of them today. All right, so let's jump in and we'll, we'll run through these. Number one, why doesn't the Bible say more about the intermediate heaven? 
That's the one that most people were really, really interested in. Like, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about the intermediate heaven because there's so, I, I just don't know. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about it. There's only three verses, and it's really just three verses. Why are there not whole chapters and passages dedicated to the intermediate heaven? Like, we have 1 Corinthians 15 that's all about the resurrection, and why don't we have a, a chapter like that about the intermediate heaven? And the answer to that question is, I don't know. Uh, but I like this analogy. And I, this is not original to me. I forgot where I read it. I read like 15 books for this series. And so I, forgive me if I'm not citing my sources here. But I like this analogy. Uh, last week, we, we had a chance to go to the Caribbean. We actually went to the Turks and Caicos Islands. And it's, it's incredible. I mean, it is beautiful. It's that paradise is what they call it. It's paradise. And the emerald waters, and all, it's beautiful. And if you'd asked me last week where we were going, what would I have told you? We're going to the Turks and Caicos Islands. That's where we're going. If you'd have caught me before I jumped on the plane and said, where are you flying to? We're flying to the Turks and Caicos Islands. Well, it's not entirely true. We first flew to Charlotte. But if you'd asked me where we were going, I would never have mentioned Charlotte. Charlotte would have been the least of my concern. I would have never. Like when I researched things to do in the Caribbean, I didn't research things to do in Charlotte. Like, ooh, we got an hour in Charlotte. What are we going to do in Charlotte? Because Charlotte was a temporary stop. That was not the final destination. The final destination was paradise, and that's all I cared about was paradise. And if you ask me about it today, hey, what was your vacation like? I'm not going to tell you anything about the five hours I spent in Charlotte, which was supposed to be two, but that's Americans' fault. But I'm not going to tell you anything about those five hours of Charlotte because it it, it wasn't that Charlotte was a bad place. Charlotte was a nice place, but it was just a temporary place. It was a layover on the way to our final destination. And I, don't, I like that analogy because maybe that's why the Bible doesn't spend as much time on it and spends much more time on the final reality of heaven. Which gets to question number two. Well, how long will we be in the intermediate heaven? Like, are we talking about thousands of years, millions of years? Uh, the answer to this question is, I don't know. Uh, and, and that's not an attempt to avoid the question. This time, that is actually the biblical answer to the question. We will be in the intermediate heaven until the final trumpet sounds. So we'll be in intermediate heaven until Jesus returns. And you know when the Bible says that's going to happen? Nobody knows. That's what Jesus himself says this. So Matthew chapter 24, 36 and 42, Jesus said, But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So everybody that makes the predictions based on what we've read in Revelations, we can put together these pieces, and this is exactly when the Lord is going to return. They don't know. I I say that with 100% confidence because Jesus said, you don't know. I don't even know. Jesus said, I don't even know. What makes you think you know? So um, nobody knows. The other verse that's important here, about the intermediate heaven, I think is Second Peter uh, 3, 8 and through 10, where he says, don't forget this. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So the Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he's patient with you. But look at that last line. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And again, it's that same thing. Like nobody knows when, when Jesus is going to return. So nobody knows how long we're going to spend in the intermediate heaven. It may be a day or two. Maybe a whole week. Maybe we're there 7,000 years. I don't know. You see what I mean? Like, I mean, we're trying to put in concept, our concept of time over the concept. So in, in the concept of eternity, however time we spend in the intermediate heaven will be a very short period of time in light of all eternity. And maybe, maybe that's another reason 
that the Bible concerns itself far more with the final destination of believers and the final reality for believers than it does the, uh, the temporary layover. So, question number three. And I know I'm going through these quick because i got ten of them, okay? But question number three. What will our bodies be like in heaven? This one, I probably have more questions or more variations of this than any of the other questions. Because when you start talking about resurrection and the reality of resurrection, our minds immediately go to, yeah, but, but how? What's that going to look like? So, I mean, like, what age will we be? Will we all be the same age? Or will we be the age we were when we died? But what about infants? And what about kids? Like, and, and the answer to the question is... <clears throat> I, I don't know. I don't know. that The questions are interesting to think about, and it's like that's where our mind goes as humans is some of those kind of practical questions. The only thing the Bible tells us is that our bodies will be imperishable and incorruptible and glorious. So the Bible tells us our bodies will be imperishable, incorruptible, and glorious, and that the resurrected body will be something like the earthly body, but not quite the same. So it will be different from the earthly body, but it will be a more glorious body. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 15 because they ask the same question What will the resurrection body be like? And after I preached on that text uh, several months ago, uh, Jeff sent me a, an email. Je- uh, Jeff Lowry sent me an email and he was like, Have you ever read the message version of 1 Corinthians 15 where he uses the analogy of the plant and the seed and all of that? And I'm like, I had not read it. And he shared that with me. And look at this. This is, this is such a great description. This is from the message. Some skeptic is sure to ask, show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Draw me a picture. What does this, quote, resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed, and soon there is a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between the seed and the plant. You could never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. But what we plant in the soil and what we grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. That's all we know. What age will we be? I don't know. That's all we know. C.S. Lewis, in trying to answer this question, said, what do you mean what age will we be? We'll be ageless. He said, well, what does that look like? I don't know. I've never been ageless. I mean, I, I, we don't know how to even experience this body without age. We, that's the only way we as humans know how to experience. The passage of time breaks down our bodies, and that's the only way we know how to experience life. But in the time to come, we will be ageless. We, are, the, are the bodies no longer decay? The bodies no longer break down? I mean, it, it's, that's, it's really kind of incredible to think about. I have no idea what they'll be like, but I know that they'll be glorious and imperishable and incorruptible. That's all we know. Number four, what about those who are cremated? And um, this, is, this has become a question that's become a lot more frequent because cremation has become a lot more popular within the last uh, 10, uh, I would say two to three decades. It's become a lot more, more popular among um, Christians. And you see why for a long time it wasn't because of the belief of the resurrection and the burial and these things. Uh, but... I would think, and this is again, the Bible doesn't say anything about cremation or, or anything like that, but I would think that those cremated would be resurrected as in, as in the same way as those who are buried because the clear promise of Scripture is that everyone who dies in Christ will be resurrected in Christ. 
So there's no footnotes in 1 Corinthians 15. There's no footnotes in Romans 8 that say, but, no, 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 if, you do, if, you, if you're buried in this way, then you will not be. There's no footnotes there. I think the promise is resurrection. It's harder for us to think about those things because in cremation, the body is immediately consumed, but in burial, the body eventually ends up in the same spot. So it's, we're all going to end up as dust and ashes. It's just a question of how quickly we end up as dust and ashes. In cremation, it's immediate. In burial, it, it takes some time. But we all end up as dust and ashes. And I believe that somehow God will resurrect the dust and ashes into an eternal, glorious body. Because, and I believe that because that's the promise of Scripture. All right. Number five. So why haven't I heard about all this before? And this question comes from two places, actually. There were two different types of way this question was asked. But like, one, a lot of people have heard this. And you grew up in churches where you heard this taught and you repeated the Nicene Creed and what talks about the resurrection of the dead. And you're familiar with this. Some of you grew up in churches where you never heard about the resurrection of the dead. And so you're, you're like, why haven't, why haven't we been talking about this? Why haven't I heard this? Or the other way this question was asked is, if that is true, you know, if the resurrection is what is clearly taught in Scripture, then why do all these images of, you know, floating on clouds, why do those images persist if the resurrection is what the Bible talks about? Why, are we, why do we have all these images of, you know, disembodied souls and, you know, somebody gaining their wings when they die and all this? Why does that persist if resurrection is what the Bible talks about? And there's a couple of reasons here. One of them, without going too far down this rabbit hole, is Plato's fault. Uh, I'm talking about the Greek philosopher. Like He influenced a lot of our thoughts about heaven. Uh, just like Dante influenced a lot of our thoughts about hell. Uh, he's not, Dante's not scripture, so Dante's Inferno influenced the way we think about hell. I said I wasn't going to talk about hell. But uh, Plato influenced the way we think about heaven because Plato believed that the body was mortal and the soul was immortal. And um, he believed that the body was evil and the soul was good. And so, therefore, it was desirable for the soul to depart from the body at some point. And the Bible doesn't really teach either of those things in that the body is evil or that the body is uh, mortal. The body can be immortal because the Bible actually teaches it will be resurrected. So that's part of it. But the other reason, I think, more than anything is we just confuse the intermediate heaven for the final reality. And um, to me, that's... We need to be careful there. We, just, we talk about our soul departing from our body and going to be with God. And that's what is promised in the intermediate heaven. So 2 Corinthians verses 5, 8, we're confident. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So that is the promise of the intermediate heaven. But I think the promise of the final reality is so much more powerful and so much more compelling that that's what I want to talk about more than I do uh, the intermediate heaven. But I think that's why... These images persist. The images persist because we confuse the intermediate heaven with the new heavens and the new earth. So, number six. What will life be like in the new heavens and the new earth? And there's a ton of these questions too. Like, will we own our own homes? Will we spend time together with the ancients? Like, will I get to talk to Moses and find out, you know, what it was like? Or will we, you know, will we read the Bible? Will we study the Bible? Will we get to have all our questions answered about all the things that happen in life that we don't understand? Will those questions be answered? Uh, will we swim, hike, play? Will there be marriage? Will there be babies in heaven? Will there be work? Will there be naps? Will there be uh, gardens? Will uh, there be animals in heaven? Do dogs go to heaven? All of those questions. Um, and the answer to all of them is, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it'll be like. 
But this, I do believe this. If the Bible talks about a new heavens and a new earth, I do believe that the present life holds clues for the future life. So that many of the things that we enjoy in the present life will continue in the future life. Because we will have physical existence. So if we have physical existence, I believe we'll continue to do many of the things that we do now. I think we'll continue to work. I know that may be really bad news for some of you, but I don't think you'd be, you're not going to have to be a TSA agent or anything like that because those people don't hate their jobs. Um, but I mean, I, work, anytime you've done work that's fulfilling, that's enjoyable, that, that gives you meaning and purpose, I think we could continue to do that in heaven. Uh, we could play sports, tend gardens, listen to music, create art, learn, discover, eat. I mean, I think those things could continue in heaven. And I think Paul's analogy in 1 Corinthians 15 supports the idea that the life to come is different from the present life, but yet it is connected to it in some way. That the body to come is different from the present body, yet it is connected to it in some way. That the earth is a foreshadowing of the future earth like this is a shadow of the things to come as c.s lewis said at the end of the chronicles of narnia this is the first chapter of the book this is just the first chapter and the rest of it just gets every chapter from there on out gets better and better than the first um and i'm gonna skip around i moved these around uh on on a tie back there i moved these around but uh I'm going to jump down to, to the marriage question because it's connected to this one about uh, what, will, what will life be like. Uh, it's, it's number nine, Ty, I'm sorry. Can you find that one? It's about what, what about marriage? Yeah, will we be married in heaven? Didn't Jesus say that we would not be married in heaven? Uh, yeah, that, that, he did say that. In Mark chapter 12, and I want to read this text. I think I can, go, I can drive it here. This is uh, the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection. Now, let me give a little background here. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. I'm not talking about Jesus' resurrection. This is before Jesus was resurrected. They didn't believe in the afterlife exists as resurrection of the dead. And so in order to prove this point, they asked Jesus a logical fallacy. And this is what it is. So the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection, they came to him with a question. Teacher, they said... Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up his offspring for his brother. And he's talk, they're talking law of Moses here. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. Uh, the second one married the widow, but he, it's like a, one of those math problems you hear. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection... Whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? So you see that what their intent here, they're not interested in the question. The, the intent here is to trip up Jesus in the logical fallacy of, see, there can be no resurrection because how could resurrection exist when there's problems like this? And uh, Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. And I don't think this means we'll be literal angels. It just means that we'll be eternal. Now, about the dead rising, have you not read the book of Moses in the account of the burning bush? How God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Now, what's interesting to me about this whole uh, dialogue that Jesus has between the uh, Sadducees and him is the first thing that he's bothered by with the question. Before he answers their question of, will we be married? He says, how could you not believe in the resurrection? 
How could you possibly not believe in the resurrection? That's the first thing that he's kind of offended by. Is like, how, do you not know the power of God? Do you not know the scriptures of the power of God? So Jesus believes that the scriptures and the power of God attest to resurrection of the dead. And then he answers their question. And then he immediately comes back to the, but yet, wait a minute, you guys don't believe in the resurrection? I mean, that, he, he comes back to that as well. But Jesus does say in that scripture here that uh, when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. So um, let's talk about that for just a minute. Uh, he, he doesn't say here that we would not know our spouses, just that we would not know them in the same way as before through the institution of marriage. Now, I'm not trying to make a joke here. Just, I'm just, this is troubling or comforting depending upon the status of your marriage. Okay, and that's not, I'm not, it's not a joke. I mean, really, there are some people that when they hear that we would not have marriage at the resurrection, will go, well, that's good. Uh, you know, that's, that's a good thing because this one's not working out too well. There are other people that when they hear that think, that's awful. What do you mean we won't be married at the resurrection? That's terrible. And there's others that think, oh, goodness, but how does that work? Because I was married before, and now who's husband will I be at the resurrection or whose wife will I be at the resurrection what if I've been married multiple times and what and we're all in heaven together and what whoa what is going on um listen here's here's what Jesus says it makes sense really if you think just as our bodies will be different yet the same our relationships will be different yet the same so there's continuation there's nothing in, that says in the Bible that heaven wipes out our memories or abolishes our past and all the relationships we had in our past. We don't know anybody. And we don't recognize anybody. There's none of that. Um, but the nature of our relationships do change on some level. How do they change? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just what I read of Jesus there, that the, the nature of our relationships change on some level, level. What I would say is, I don't know in what ways that change and in what ways that is that you know, we're not given in marriage or married. You know, I, I don't understand that. I don't know in what ways that change, but I can't imagine that it's going to be worse. I can't imagine that Jesus has something worse in mind so that when we get up there, we're, we're upset about, oh, if I'd have known it was this. And I just can't imagine that. So I imagine things only getting better. And that's about the best way that I can answer that question. The, the, the most interesting thing to know there is that Jesus is actually defending the resurrection more than he's trying to answer a question about marriage. It's almost like he lets that little thing slip at the end, and I, I don't know exactly what that means. But uh, what's my next one? Let me... Where are we going to put everybody? Finally, we get to some good stuff. I mean, it's just like... I, and Scott asked me this question, and I thought it was a great question, because he was like, you were preaching about resurrection, new heavens, and new earth, and I was like, man, that sounds awesome, but wait a minute, where's everybody going to live? Like, what? how in the world are we going to make this work? And I was like, Scott, you are way too optimistic about how many people are going to heaven. I mean, haven't you read the scriptures, narrow is the gate? No, anyway, um, the answer to this question, where is it? <clears throat> oh, there it is. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, N.T. Wright reminds us that roughly half the people who have ever lived are alive now. I don't know where he gets that stat, but that's kind of interesting to think about. In other words, there's a lot more space on Earth than you realize. Um, but scientists remind us that our galaxy is one of 200 billion galaxies, and that's just the ones we've seen, which is kind of crazy to think about. And it just, it's just a reminder that existence is much bigger than anything we could ever dream of. 
And, and I'm not trying to, you know, it's just, it's one of those mind-blowing things if you think about how small and tiny Earth is in comparison to the universe, and then how small and tiny the, uh, the universe compared to the galaxy, and how small and tiny the galaxy is compared to the universe. It's just, it's, it's mind-boggling to think about. I would just answer this question this way. I can't imagine God promising resurrection and not having a plan for where to put everyone. I think he's thought that through. So I, I, think, he's, I think he's got that uh, figured out one way or the other. All right, um, what about the thousand-year reign? Can you explain that? I cannot. Um, I have no idea. What, so, uh, that one's not, I don't know. No, I can't explain it. I don't buy the premillennialism of uh, the Left Behind series. I don't buy the postmillennialism of the Enlightenment era. I'm more of an ableist myself. And if you don't know what any of that means, you're fine. You do not have to know what any of that means. That, all of that's based on one little thing in Revelation. There's a little passage that's confusing in Revelation. I think it's 20, 19 or 20, where it talks about a thousand-year reign. And uh, there's been entire theologies developed over this thousand-year reign. And I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in Revelation that I don't know what it means. And I don't know exactly what he's talking about. So I'd be careful with putting too much stock in the symbolism of Revelation. That here's the way you need to interpret Revelation. There's a battle between good and evil, and in the end, good wins. That's Revelation. That's my series on Revelation. There's a battle between good and evil, and in the end, uh, good wins. That's, Todd gave me that interpretation of it, and that's my favorite interpretation. And, that, and really, that's all we need to know. Like whether there's a thousand-year reign or there's not or any of that stuff, none of that really matters. It's just we know that in the end, God wins. Um, all right, last question. Will we know our loved ones? This is the only one that I don't have to say I don't know. <laughs> Uh, the answer to this question, I believe, is yes. I think we will know our loved ones. Um, I believe that we'll be reunited with them in the same way that we were reunited uh, with God. And the reason is, I want to go deeper theological in one little verse here. But the reason is because God created us for relationship. So God, cre- God is relationship. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit exist in eternal relationship. And God invited us into that relationship but if you go back to the Garden of Eden, God created us for relationship. He said it's not good for man to be alone. And he created other humans to be with other humans. And he created us for that relationship. And the Garden of Eden is a foreshadowing of what is to come. It is heaven on earth. And I believe that for that reason, relationships will continue. In fact, they will take on even more meaning and satisfaction at the resurrection because they'll no longer be damaged by sin. They'll no longer be damaged by past hurts and slights. And I think that's what Paul drives at in, um, in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 14. He's talking about a, a reunion with our loved ones in here. He says, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. He's talking about the second coming. If we're alive at the time of the second coming, Jesus brings with him our loved ones. I think that that indicates reunion. I think there's talk of reunion there. And then later in verse 17, he says, After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. And I think the, the important phrase there is with them, that we will be. I think he's talking about our loved ones who died in Jesus. And when Jesus returns, he brings them with him. And then we are together with them when we meet Jesus. And I think there's plenty of good evidence that uh, there'll be a grand homecoming when we get to heaven. That song we sing, Homecoming, I wish I'd have thought about it. I thought of it while we were worshiping this morning. Like, Man, I should have asked for that for the closing song. Because if you ever listen to Bridge to Homecoming, it talks about this, this feast and there's dancing and there's music and they, you know, the families are together. And it's describing resurrection. It's describing the homecoming that we would have 
in the final reality of heaven. So I, I do believe that we will, we will see our loved ones again. Um, all right, that's, that's all of them I could tackle. <laughs> and I know I didn't get to all of them because I know some of them, and I'll, I'll try, if you'll send me a reminder, I'll try to answer it via email, although my answer is going to be real simple probably. Um, it, three words, I'm guessing. But no, I'll try to answer it. It's, it's, it's fun to think about because we're trying to imagine something. And I do think that the Bible and God wants us to imagine what eternity's like because it should fill us with hope. It, should, it, should, it shouldn't be something that fills us with dread or anxiety or those kinds of things. It should fill us with hope that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And, and that's the ultimate reality of heaven. We, can't, we haven't seen it. We can't even imagine it. It's, and everything that I've done to try to describe it, I mean, we, we still fall short of capturing what God has designed for those who love him. Um, let me pray for us, and I'll tell you what, uh, what's coming up next week. Let's pray. Father, I, I do pray that uh, this series has been uh, encouraging to us, and it's been encouraging to me to think about these things again, and, and when I'm out in nature and I see beautiful things, and I, and I just keep I'm thinking about how it's just a it's just a small taste of what it's going to be like in heaven. Or it's a beautiful day and it feels great outside and the wind's in your face. And it's just a small taste of what it's going to be like. And so, Father, help us to encourage each other with these words. Help us to, uh, for, for all of us have lost people close to us and lost loved ones. Help us to be encouraged that they're with you and um, that, that they are awaiting resurrection and help us to be encouraged that, that we are awaiting resurrection. Help us be encouraged by the new heavens and the new earth and just the hope that comes with eternal life. We thank you for this eternal life. We thank you that you have made it possible uh, through your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.